well, you know, um, we only did three songs this morning, which is a little bit different from the usual four-song format. Um, and so uh, I had a song running through my head uh, this past week as I was getting ready uh, for this message, and I want to share a little bit of with you. And I know once I start talking about music, some of you guys, you, you go on high alert because you know my music tastes, and it's a little bit alarming, and you're like, okay, where is he going this time? Um, well, this past week, I went way back to 1975. Some of you were alive then. Some of you, many of you weren't. Uh, but there was this guy, his name is B.J. Thomas, and he sang about another somebody done somebody wrong song. Anybody remember that one? A few of you, yes, many gray hairs. Um, I know you're going to say, leave the singing to your wife, you do the preaching, so I will not, I will not sing it for you, but the line says, hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song. And, uh, you know, you probably don't share my shameless affection for sappy soft rock. I get that. Um, But what that's about, that reality of being done wrong by someone else, that's a reality we can all relate to. We can commiserate around that song. And, and many of us, we could, we could write our own somebody done somebody wrong song, right? Uh, some of you, maybe you already have, and you've got that song playing in the recesses of your mind on repeat. And uh, either way, all of us, we found ourselves at one point or another on the receiving end of, of being wronged unjustly by, by someone else. You know, the, the default setting in this world that we live in, it too often, it gets set around hurting others to get ahead ourselves. And, you know, that's kind of just the way things work in this world, and we understand that. Um, the question I want to look at this morning is, what's the, what's the default setting for the redeemed child of God? What kind of treatment can be expected within the the family of faith, this thing that we call church? And that's a bit more complicated to answer that question. You know, I'd love to be able to tell you that church is the one place that people can go to to sing, no one ever does anybody wrong, those kind of songs. Uh, I'd love to do that, but but I can't um, because it's not true. You, you, you know that, right? Uh, every church is filled with people like you and like me. We're, we're on the other side of being redeemed, but we're still, we're works in progress. And that means that being wronged by others is a continual reality. Even in church, we continue to have to deal with and work through being wronged. The question is how? Because we're still we're still singing that song, that somebody done somebody wrong song. But here's the thing, on the other side of Jesus' redeeming work in a person's life um, that makes them alive to God, there's a, there's a different sound to that song. There's an there's, there's a updated version that the Holy Spirit turns on in our hearts for us to learn and to sing along to. So we're in the sixth week of a series. Uh, the series is called Growing Pains. We've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. 
Um, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to this local church congregations in a city called Corinth 2,000 years ago today. Not today, but these days. But, um, but what's interesting is that in more ways than you might expect, that church is a lot like ours, right? Uh, the things that they wrestled through are some of the same things that we find ourselves wrestling through today. And, and there's some timeless principles that were there for them in the, in the there and then, but they apply to us in the here and now. And so that's what we're learning about. We're learning how to, how to cultivate a faith that's growing, that's taking steps forward in our walk with the Lord. And so we're at chapter 6. And we're going to read this, uh, this passage in chapter 6, and it's really about a beef between two brothers. Uh, just to prepare you, here's, here's what it is. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not? rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So what this, what this passage is making clear is that there is a right way uh, to go about resolving wrongs that are done against us uh, by our fellow believers. And the point is that this church in Corinth is not doing it right. They're getting it all wrong. And, and we, we can't be sure about the, speci- the specifics, but, but there's two brothers in Christ, two believers who were kind of going head to head. Uh, in verse 8, it says that one was defrauding the other. And, and, and that would mean that he's owed something, uh, something that's entitled to him, that should be expected, but the other guy is cheating him. He's refusing to make good on whatever it is that he promised And he's not fulfilling his obligation. And of course, that's nothing new. It's a reality that's not all that uncommon. But the point that's being made here is that this is playing out between two believers, between two brothers, and that's not right. The fact that they are believers ought to have made a difference, uh, but it didn't. And the whole church seems to have kind of gotten onto this, and, and, and they're kind of lined up. Um, either on one side or the other, and it's kind of just creating a big, giant mess. And so that's the situation that this passage is speaking into, and the overall call, both to them as well as to us, it may sound familiar if you've been here because we've already seen it in our way through this book. It's this consistent call to just simply keep Christ front and center in each and every situation. Keep Christ front and center. And in this case, maturity looks like this. It means glorifying God matters more than getting what I'm owed. Glorifying God matters more than getting what I have due me. 
Now, that's something that the Corinthian Christians, they hadn't figured out yet. And in their attempt to right what had gone wrong, they ended up going wrong themselves. Maybe you've done that yourself. Um, this guy who had been wronged, he came out guns ablaze. You know, you might call it like the Rambo response, right? You mess with me? Yeah? Okay, I'm dragging you to court, and I'm going to sue your pants off, right? Um, this kind of standard procedure uh, for how to right a wrong out there, but the point is, That's not how things work in here within the body of Christ. And Paul is telling them, like, come on, guys. There is a better way to work through this. Turn off that old song already. Tune into that new chorus. It's playing in your heart, so listen to it. Learn it and start singing along. Work through it in a way that honors God. And you may have noticed uh, this thing that these instructions, maybe you think they're addressed to the wrong party because they're not addressed to the offender. They're addressed to the offended. Did you notice that? The offender will get addressed. It's kind of sandwiched. There was an address before this and one after that. Um, but this part is for the offended. And, and for some of us, that right there is the primary discipleship challenge. Even when I'm the one who's been wronged unjustly, that doesn't grant me permission to go nuclear, right? Right? Uh, to, to start World War III, even when I'm the one who's been wronged. And so when that's, when that's the position we find ourselves in, when we are unjustly offended by someone else, the primary issue that has to get settled is this. Who am I going to make it about? Who is this matter between me? Am am I going to make it about me and that guy who did me wrong? Or am I going to make it a matter that's between me and the Lord? Those are the two choices. And the way you answer that question, it makes a world of difference on where you go from that point and how you proceed. Because when you make it about me and God... You start asking some questions. You say, saying, Lord, how do I walk through this mess that I didn't want to be in, that I didn't choose in a way that honors you? Lord, there's some way you want to use this. You want to do something. You want to work through it and grow me, so show me what that looks like. Because I don't want to miss out on what you want to work through this Um, this messy situation. You want to do something good through something bad. You know, we don't always get the choice of whether we are in a mess or not, but we all get the choice of whether we, we waste those messes or not. And just to be clear, uh, when you make that choice and you make these matters between me and the Lord, it is seldom the easier option. Right? And it will likely take longer. It may require more from you. And the result may very well look different from your preferred outcome. But in the end, what glorifies God also and always works for our own ultimate good as well. 
And that's something that we need to understand. So every situation, every mess that we're in, it's primarily, it's about me and God. And it simply plays out between me and that guy I'm at odds with that I'm trying not to call nasty names, you know? Um, And so that's the situation here. And then the question is, okay, I want to honor you, Lord. How do I know if I am? How can I tell if honoring God really matters more to me than, than getting what I want? How do I know if I'm tuned into that new chorus or I'm still stuck on repeat with the old one? There's a few indicators here in this passage. Uh, I'm going to walk through them. The first one is the ability to put the situation into proper perspective. It's being able to see things for what they are instead of blowing them up and out of proportion, overreacting and making them more than they really are. And that's a consistent danger. Um, you know, just, uh, just blowing things out of proportion. And, and it's funny, Paul reminds them, he says, guys, friends, listen, listen up. The day is coming when you are going to play some kind of active role in God's final judgment on the world and even on the angels. Now, some of you, maybe you would just love to stop right there. Let's just spend the rest of the morning speculating about what that might look like. Maybe we can do that, but we're not going to do that today. Um, because I don't want you to miss the point, and the point is that it's simply to, to deal with this in light of that, all right? So, so deal with the lesser in light of the greater. Deal with the, the temporal issues in light of the eternal realities, and you can almost hear Paul saying, like, come on, man. You know, did you really think this warranted taking the guy to court, standing before the same ones who are one day going to stand before you, you guys lost it. You know, there's, there's times when the problem isn't that we're wrong about the outcome that we're after. The problem is that we're just way too wrapped up in it. We need perspective. We need to see the big picture. And that comes from from putting down the microscope and obsessing over the situation and picking up a telescope and seeing things of greater, from a greater altitude. Or maybe it's just me, but, but it is just way too easy to get lost in the middle of a conflict. Um, and so this is really calling us to, to set our minds on things above. So when that beef that you have with that guy, it's the last thing that you're thinking about before you go to bed at night, and it's the first thing that's on your mind when you wake up in the morning, that might be a signal. Take a time out. Go to the mirror, look at the mirror, and tell yourself, I am going to judge angels. Right now, I don't know what that looks like, but it's a big deal. And, and it is in my future. And maybe just dwell on something like that, something big. Maybe do it for just five minutes. And then after that, go back to the conflict. And then when you get a chance, tell me, did that conflict get bigger or did it get smaller? 
That's the first indicator, the ability to keep things in perspective. The second indicator is that I'm seeking to settle this matter simply and quickly. So, so this guy who had, you know, we already said he, he had been legitimately wrong. This isn't just a case of a misunderstanding. Um, but he took the matter all the way to court. And in doing so, he bypassed the resources that were available from within the body of Christ to resolve it. And so Paul asked the question, and of course, this is a rhetorical question, like you know what the answer is. He says, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? See, the idea is that this issue could have been over and done with. It it really... It should have been settled. It should have been in the rearview mirror a long time ago. But it just kept on going. And as it kept on going, it kept on growing. And you probably know this, I don't have to tell you, that very little good tends to come from ongoing, unresolved conflict. Right? So now it's gotten to the point where it's actually, it's killing the church's testimony because instead of making a statement that we are united in Christ, they're divided in court. And so the watching world sees what's going on and it gives them an excuse to dismiss the gospel. People look at that, they say, if that's the difference that Jesus makes, then no thanks. I can do that all by myself. And so, Paul, that's why he says the minute you stepped into that courtroom, guys, it doesn't matter what the outcome ends up being, you lost. We all lost. Now, I I do want to just keep in mind and point out that this issue is, it's a dispute. It's over a dispute. It's not a crime. And so what we're talking to, the comparison would be that this is a, a civil matter. This is like small claims court. So, so we don't want to equate this to saying, oh, does this mean that we should bypass the criminal investigation system? No, that is a whole different category. Um, but for what we're talking about, this dispute, when, when, when we let disputes just linger, when we make them more complicated to be than they ought to be, there are consequences, so Jesus, he, he laid out this step-by-step process to follow for reconciling wrongs that are done within the body of Christ, within the church. It's in Matthew 18, and, and he says this, when a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault just between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by one or two witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and If he refuses even to listen to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And so there's this incremental process. You take it one step at a time, and and the circle only widens to the extent that's necessary. And the process happens in-house. And if you get to the end, and the guy that you're at odds with is still belligerent, then the God-honoring next step is to just kind of wash your hands and let it go. And, you know, sometimes that's the problem because we don't want to let it go. Sometimes there's something in us that just wants to punish and inflict pain. 
and just keep things on and on. Now, if you're willing to hear me out, I want to offer a maybe a somewhat untraditional application to this passage that I, I, believe is, I believe it's appropriate. If you don't think so, that's okay, and you can tell me after the service. Um, do you know what the most common legal action taken between Christians today is? It's divorce proceedings. And so if you're married... I just want to throw this out there. It may be worth your while applying the principles of this passage to the person that you're most likely to go head-to-head with. It's your spouse. Unless you're that person who says, oh, no, me and my spouse, we never had a, we never had a fight. We've been married 50 years. And I say, okay, you're just a liar. But... Um, <laughs> It's a challenge, making a marriage work, and, and it's a setting we desperately need to be tuned into the right chorus, right? And, and oftentimes, the reality is that issues, they really can be settled a lot faster than we're willing to admit. And so could it be that what keeps that from happening is that we are really more committed to being right than we are to keeping the peace, and being united? I don't know. I'm just asking a question. You can chew on that one yourself. Um, So there's one last indicator that's here, that we're tuned into the right song, and, and that is that we're willing to lose. We're willing to lose. Or maybe I could even say it that we understand we have nothing to lose. So this guy who had been offended he really needed to win, and he refused to lose. And so Paul asked the question, like, why? You know, why not, just, why not just suffer the wrong? Why not just take one on the shoulder? Why not, why not just be defrauded? In other words, what is it that's making this such a sticking point? Why is it that you are ready to die over such a small matter on this hill? What is it? Could it be that there's just a whole lot of ego? That the way that you're perceived by others just matters too much. So what I want to ask you to understand is that there will be times in your life when you're going to have the opportunity to stretch out your life into the same shape that Jesus did when he went and suffered on the cross. There will be times when the God-honoring thing to do is to let go, to let go of what we're owed, to let go of what we deserve, and to simply just walk the path to the cross. It doesn't always come to that, but when it does, what we need to understand that that act of surrender, that is the ultimate evidence of a mature Christian life, right? It's, it's not seen in like, okay, how high do I wave my hands in worship? How many Bible verses can I quote? It's the way that I'm living and the willingness that I am to, to follow Jesus to the cross. That instead of going for the power play to try to push that person and, and, and just inflict my will, it's the willingness to give up our rights and to turn our lives into a living sacrifice. Because in any conflict, when things are at a standstill, someone's got to take that first step, right? Someone's got to surrender. 
And to the world outside of the redeemed community of Christ, the, the church, that sounds absolutely absurd. But to the redeemed family of faith, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like an opportunity to model our lives after our Savior, after our Master, to do the same thing that Jesus did to resolve the ultimate conflict, which is never the one between me and me and you, it's always the one between God and me. Those opportunities come. You might remember if you were here a couple of weeks ago, back in chapter 4, Paul reminded his friends about the quality of life that he as an apostle enjoyed. He said he went hungry and he was thirsty, he was poorly dressed, he was beat up, he was homeless, and he said when reviled we bless, when persecuted we endured, when, when slandered we entreat. And then he went on and said, come on, guys, imitate me, join the party, right? And this is where the opportunity is, in the middle of this conflict, in the middle of being wronged by someone. See, this is where it's at. This is where it gets real. And this is where it's most challenging. I remember having lunch with a, with a pastor friend of mine a while back, and and he told me about a guy named Sam who went to his church, and, and Sam had been put in charge of setting up the video projector each week. And, and they were at a portable setting at the time, and so Sam would, he would take the projector home with him, and he'd bring it back each Sunday when he'd set it up. And, and then at some point, Sam got turned on to some really crazy teaching, um, some bizarre Bible teacher who told him, uh, that uh, some crazy stuff. So he called my friend up and he explained to him, hey, pastor, did you know that the church age has ended? That churches should no longer be meeting and you ought to close your church. You're being disobedient, he said, for, for still meeting. Okay, if that's what you think. But there was a kicker to it. And he said, Sam said that he had no intention of returning that $2,000 projector because He didn't want to help a disobedient church. And so we're having lunch. My buddy tells me this. And I said, please tell me you have Sam's address. Because I think we need to get a few guys together and pay good old Sam a visit. You know, maybe maybe we need to extend the right hand of fellowship to him. And while we're at it, we'll throw in a few lefts. Um, And he said, he said, no, we're not going to do that. He said, I've called. He said, I've left a few messages. He hasn't called me back. He hasn't returned the projector. He said, I'm okay. He said, at this point, the matter's between him and the Lord. He let it go. My friend was tuned in to the right song. And when you recognize that in your life, the issue is between you and God, you also recognize that the issue is between the other person and God. Right? And sometimes that's what it takes to, to be able to let go of these kinds of things. You know, the day is eventually going to arrive when we're no longer going to be singing that somebody done somebody wrong song. It's the day when Jesus returns and it's going to be a good day. But we're not there yet. And until that day, we're going to continue to deal with all kinds of messy situations that the Lord sovereignly allows to come into our lives, not to break us down. He allows them to build us up. 
They're not easy. But right now, he's holding out all the grace that we need to work through the challenges that are in our, in, in our, in our front view, to work through them every situation in a way that is honoring to him. It, it won't be easy, but what it's done to his glory is always and forever, ultimately, for our good as well. Let's pray together.